Hello, I'm Wayne Park, and welcome to Oikonomics, a podcast about the science of ministry, work, administration, and the summing up of everything. Keep coming back for relevant teachings and talks on these subjects and more. Please enjoy the show. We're continuing our study through Eugene Peterson's Under the Unpredictable Plant and have started uh, in the previous episodes talking about Tarshish and the fish. Today I'd like to talk about the place of Nineveh, or more specifically the subject of pastoral acceptance. And so um, in contrast to Tarshish, I want to reiterate uh that Nineveh is a place of pastoral acceptance, whereas Tarshish can oftentimes be a place of pastoral fantasy. It would be the place where the grass is greener. It would be the place um, of, uh, of uh, wanderlust, where we would always think that if I could only be in that context, ministering in that place, in that city, in that community, in that church, things would be better. And Peterson really kind of rails against this, um, equating it with fleeing to Tarshish, seeking uh, what we would presume to be greener pastures. And yet Nineveh is the place where God calls us to. In fact, it's often the place where we are also most effective. And so um, I just want to recap some of the things, some of the key points from the previous episodes. First of all, that we should be careful not to select a community, but to accept a community. And there's a dynamic shift that occurs there where ego is no longer in the driving seat, that we're not driving um, after something that I want, where I have um, extolled this ideal of community, and therefore I am going to pursue Tarshish. Uh, It's not so much about this emotional entanglement of the ego as much as it is a geographic and circumstantial entanglement. I find myself circumstantially and geographically living amongst the Ninevites, living amongst these people. I know what it's like firsthand to constantly be looking elsewhere and say, these are not my people. My people are just beyond the borders or somewhere else. But the truth is, um, in a situation like that, I become the author of the community, not God. I become uh, the the ultimate standard um, for which uh, I live in this perpetual wannabe phenomenon. I want to be there. I want to be somewhere else. And I think that is the emotional entanglement that is so difficult to get out of, the ego-based mentality. Um, You see... The minute we, we put ourselves out there that we want to be in a place somewhere other than this and we enter into that place somehow by some twist of fortune, you know what happens is people in those places can do anything they want to us because we've entered in with such a dynamic where, and people can almost smell this on you, um, he or she wants to be here. They've They've desired, uh, they've almost lusted after this place in such that uh, this place can have its way with you. Um, that's Tarshish, this, this wannabe phenomenon, this putting myself out there so that I can be anywhere 
but the place of acceptance. Principally, what we're talking about is this Old Testament concept of chesed. And this is something that you may have learned or you will learn about. Uh, the word chesed is the, the Hebrew word uh, for faithfulness, for steadfastness, loving kindness. I've heard that it is uh, one of the most important ideas in the Old Testament. And ministry is not so much about trying to set myself up to be in uh, the place that my ego desires. It is very much about this notion of chesed and faithfulness, um, steadfastness, loving kindness. And so um, it accepts ministry when it's true, when it's, when it's uh, coming from the right place. It accepts whoever is on the premises of your current life situation. So that, that is a, a bit of a recap from our previous discussions um, about, about uh, Tarshish, um, about being swallowed up by the fish. And now this sets us up well for being back in Nineveh, the place where God has called us to and really where it was a matter of acceptance. And, and ironically, what we'll find is that Jonah... Uh, as much as he accepts his call to Nineveh, um, he's never really entirely comfortable in it, even while experiencing wild and extravagant success there. To set the stage, um, I'd like to introduce two popular culture metaphors uh, that I've used in the past to refer to this kind of contentedness or this lack of contentedness that people in ministry can sometimes struggle with. Um, the first is an episode of Seinfeld. And uh, to me, this is one of the most hilarious episodes I've ever seen um, of that, of that uh, older television program. And this episode, Kramer and Newman are playing the game Risk. It's a board game. And if you've ever played this board game, it involves something like a hundred million pieces, little little soldiers that are scattered on a, uh, a board that is a map of the world. And basically you position yourself strategically to occupy territories. I mean, it truly is the ultimate game of world conquest and domination. That's how it's advertised. Well, it's, it's so funny because Kramer and Newman, who are two kind of... Um, uh, I think they would call them never-do-well characters, uh, down-and-outers, uh, two, two guys who don't really have their lives together, and they occupy their time playing this board game Risk, and they're playing it everywhere. There's this one hilarious scene where Kramer is running down the, <laughs> running down the street of New York City uh, carrying the board, um, which is really patently absurd because you know that how many pieces and how precisely they're placed on the board. They're even playing it on the subway. And and one day they're playing, uh, Kramer and Newman are playing this board game at, at Jerry's, Jerry Seinfeld's apartment. George Costanza walks in and he says, what's that? What are they doing over there? And Jerry replies with a classic remark. He says, oh, it's risk. It's a game of world domination being played by two guys who can barely run their own lives. 
It's a game of world domination being played by two guys who can barely run their own lives. If you've been in pastoral ministry long enough, and you are on the one hand uh, enamored with the gospel, you're transfixed by the scope. Um, This is something that will change the world. It truly is a game of world domination, um, and yet with love. But at the same time, we find that it's often being played by people who can barely run their own lives. Such is the church, my friends. We look around, and it oftentimes might feel like we're surrounded by many Kramers and Newmans. And I'm not saying, I'm not speaking disparagingly of the church by any means. The truth of the matter is, we oftentimes seek uh, to be amongst the cool kids, to be amongst the true world changers, the hip ones, the ones that we like to be, the in crowd, the ones we want to be with. And yet, God gives us oftentimes in the church the Kramers and the Newmans. Can we do church with such persons? Can we engage in this game of risk, this bold game of transforming our cities with the gospel with such persons? You can begin to smell Nineveh here, can't you? And the challenge of how easy it is to flee to Tarshish where where it's it's just, I mean, Leave, leave aside the Kramers and the Newmans. Can you just give me some normal folk to work with? Why is the church just constantly populated with broken people? Uh, speaking of normal church, um, that reminds me of another popular culture metaphor. As you can tell, I enjoy um, a good story. Um, the second metaphor comes from a movie, older movie, It's a Western called Tombstone. Tombstone, and this is the version starring Kurt Russell, Sam Elliott, and, of course, the quintessential Val Kilmer playing Doc Holliday. And there's a scene in this movie that has stuck with me. Uh, I'm sorry for the spoiler here, um, but Doc Holliday is dying. I gave you a little brief second there to kind of turn it off if you didn't want the spoiler, but and if you're still listening, hang with me. I'm sure the point will be worth it. Doc Holliday is dying. He has a bad case of tuberculosis, and as he lay on his deathbed, he turns to his friend Wyatt Earp, Wyatt Earp played by Kurt Russell, and he says, What did you want, Wyatt? What did you want with your life? And uh, Wyatt Earp responds by, you know, I just wanted to live a normal life. I just wanted a normal life. I mean, I fled. Uh, he fled the, uh, you know, he, he fled the, 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 the difficult places so that he could just set up shop and, and live a normal life as a rancher. He didn't want any of this drama following him everywhere he went. I just want a normal life. And Doc responds with this line, that, that is quite memorable. He says, there is no normal life, Wyatt. There's just life. There is no normal life. There's just life. Oftentimes, in our pursuit of the, 
ministry that we want to be part of, of the places that we want to be. We want to be where the action's at, uh, just not here in Nineveh amongst the Kramers and the Newmans. And we just want to be part of a normal church. But the pursuit of the normal church is a fantasy. It's an ideal, even in itself. There is no normal church, Wyatt. There's just church. And underneath it all, I think the prime spiritual discipline is acceptance. Acceptance is the key. Now, I'd like to turn our attention to the book of Jonah itself as we uh, explore the question, what was it in the text, um, what was it about Nineveh that was so difficult for Jonah to accept? And perhaps as we examine this, we will see something even within ourselves that is um, a lesson that we can learn. Four things that I recognize that makes Nineveh a difficult place to accept. First is its foreignness. This was a foreign place. Um, after all, Nineveh was a city squarely located within the expanding Assyrian Empire. These were not my people, Jonah might have thought. It is their foreignness that is off-putting to me. They are Gentiles. They are not, they are not my people. And certainly that is something that is a, is a factor for Jonah and, and can be a factor for us as well. Uh, my, much of my ministry has been in multi-ethnic contexts because I've recognized even amongst uh, my, own, my own heritage as a Korean-American, a heritage that I'm very much proud of, but at the same time has had a very isolationist tendency, a desire to just be amongst our own people. And believe me, there's so much about my culture that I love. I, I, am, I am not um, against my culture in any way. Um, but at the same time, the recognition of the foreignness of Nineveh, it, it could be something that we relate to. It could be something that makes us kind of um, uh, reject the notion of, of being, being in a foreign context. The second thing that I think makes Nineveh quite difficult to accept is not only are these uh, foreign people, but in a sense they are future foreign aggressors. You see, being part of the Assyrian Empire, uh, there's almost a proleptic, uh, this almost forward-looking anticipation. These are going to be um, not only aggressors, but conquerors of our people. There's a very real sense of this imperialism to come. Um, Nineveh was the flourishing capital of the expanding Assyrian Empire. And so there is a sense, why should we go to them, the aggressors, the conquerors? Uh, certainly that dimension can exist. Again, where do we go in our ministry? Um, are we seeking to avoid such places? Are we seeking actually to go to such places? All of those things, I think, are tied in with the question of power. What kind of power do we seek? Do we seek power? Are we avoiding it? So I think what we are seeing here is, first of all, Nineveh is difficult to accept because it's just foreign. It's just not like me. 
And therefore, there's this avoidance. The, the foreignness is that first piece. The second thing that makes Nineveh so difficult is that it is growing in power. Uh, these, are, these are people that are, that are potential aggressors. So there's a desire to avoid that. The third piece here is there is an insistence on staying with Jonah's own people. Um, some commentators have recognized the possibility that maybe Jonah is missiologically frustrated, that he's finding that amongst his own people in Israel, his preaching is experiencing very little success, very little success. And he wants to keep trying, and yet when he preaches, uh, presuming that he has preached in another context, uh, whatever the case is, he knows it's going to work. It's going to work like a charm amongst these foreigners. And that's frustrating for him. That's frustrating. So there's this insistence on just, I want to work it with my own people. I want to continue to make this happen, and I don't want to give up. Why should I go over to Nineveh? And that leads to the fourth, the fourth and last uh, the the last thing that makes Nineveh so difficult to accept for Jonah. Um, and this is John Calvin's theory. John Calvin, in his commentary on Jonah, um, actually talks about uh, Jonah's fear of success. Jonah's fear of success. Um, it was Calvin's theory, kind of in line with what I had mentioned prior, that, um, that he would, perhaps he was meeting not, not much success in Israel. Jonah's fear was that his preaching would actually result in repentance, that it would be effective. Now, who would have thought? And so out of fear that his preaching would actually be met with repentance, uh, Calvin posits that Jonah was, a, he was, he was going to experience shame and loss of face when his prediction didn't come true. After all, he says, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown what happens if that prophecy actually doesn't occur because they actually repented? So Jonah stands to lose some serious face here um, and uh, to actually be painted in a poor light, certainly amongst his own people. So you can experience, you can see the frustration in all four of these things that I've mentioned, Nineveh is a difficult place to accept. You can see the conflict within the preacher, Jonah, and perhaps even relate to some of these things. It's notable to me that in Jonah chapter 4, I'm going to uh, offer you my paraphrase here. In chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah says this. He says, Wasn't this what I said when I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish because I knew you to be gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Now, these words, I want to just uh, call your attention to them. They're remarkable because they're quite formulaic in Jewish culture. Uh, in fact, uh, in the Old Testament, you can see them elsewhere almost recited like a creed, in many cases recited as an appeal where God burns with anger and he wants to smite the people. And an interceder, for example, Moses, would plead on behalf of the people and he would do so by appealing to God's good nature. He would say, God, don't you know? Or actually, let's look at Numbers chapter 14, verse 15. 
And he says, if you slay this people, the nations will say, so on and so forth, that the Lord could not, burn, he could not bring this people, and therefore he slaughtered them in the wilderness. But now, I pray, the Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. The, the same words that Jonah recites. Forgiving iniquity and transgression. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness. So what's so striking about this prayer for me is, is that it is repeated in Jonah. So this prayer in Numbers 14 that Moses uses this formulaic statement, the Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, rich in mercy and compassionate and relenting concerning calamity. This formula is repeated in Jonah, but the thing is it's not in reference to Israel, but rather to Nineveh. And not only that, but there's that word loving kindness, and I've already called this out, the Hebrew word there, chesed, which, which is about faithfulness and, and, and loving kindness and loyalty, even familial obligation. But to your own people, for crying out loud, don't, don't show that to those foreigners. They're not our people. Why would you show chesed to those people on the... Uh, down in that neighborhood, or why would we go over there? Just stay here, Jonah. And you can you can sense once again the missiological bewilderment of Jonah, almost cornered <laughs> to show Chesed to a people not his own. I think Nineveh will continually be a place for all of us in one sense or another. It's not just an ethnic thing; I think it's an existential thing. It's not just about neighborhoods and communities. It, it's oftentimes about um, classes of people. and it's, There are many different factors that are involved. You might be able to identify where your Nineveh is, and it might actually be closer to home than you realize. I'll share one last story in closing. Um, when I was in high school, by a twist of zoning and placement, I ended up in an inner city school that was populated uh, with, let's just say, a lot of ethnic people other than my own. And this was, this was in the boroughs of New York City uh, where I was born and raised. I desired to be with other kids of my kind. And it greatly displeased Wayne and he became angry, if I might echo Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, it was greatly displeasing. I can only say now, goodness, well over 30 years later, that that experience was not only necessary, yes, it was hard, but it was actually really good for me. And the fact of the matter is, it's still being worked out today in my pastoral calling. You know, friends, I still have not ended up at the normal church. I still haven't found a church that didn't have Kramers and Newmans. And in the end, this pastoral calling for me has become a lifetime of sanctification, an ongoing, long lesson of obedience in the same direction, and particularly this lesson of acceptance. The difference is today, I've become more and more comfortable 
with the Kramers and the Newmans. More and more comfortable with the not-so-normal church. More and more comfortable with Nineveh. Friends, so much of your ministry really is going to be inextricably tied up with how you are experiencing formation, with how you are growing in your capacity for acceptance, in your capacity for the people on the premises to care for and to love and to be present and to just show up. In that regard, much of this story is very much about the prophet himself or herself. And in the next episode, we'll talk about that as we talk about the unpredictable plant. We will find that truly Jonah is the mission. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to learn more, visit us online at www.oikonomics.com. That's O-I-K-O-N-O-M-I-K-S dot com.